There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do they want? Where are they from? Why are they here? This is a priority. Our priority today is minutes 31 through 35, which happen under the track from the soundtrack First Encounters. You can guess what's happening in this segment. We have a guest. Niall McGowan from Bat Minute Forever. Although, think of the time this airs, we'll be gearing up for Bat Minute and Robin, which has always been the, the end game <laughs> to, to get <laughs> the to that eventually. The greatest film. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for, having, thanks for having me here, guys. Yeah, we don't make a formal uh, version of the question, but if you had a particular experience with Arrival, like the first time you saw it, you could share that now. If you, like. <laughs> you meant like, have you encountered a UFO? Like, well, I guess yeah. I have. Yes. <laughs> well, you definitely need to share that. Yeah, yeah, well, tragically, I have not uh, in that regard. I really wish I did, but uh, <laughs> it was just, yeah, because it's, you know, because it's a relatively recent movie, it's like, oh, yeah, I just saw it in the cinema when it was out. Uh, yeah. I went on a, a date to see it, and uh, it is not a date movie, I don't think. Like, <laughs> just at the end, where, like, it was a real bummer, like, yeah, that kid, turns out, you know, she didn't die at the beginning, but she's going to die in the future, and that's yeah. kind of a bummer. <laughs> just like, okay. <laughs> particularly the... the um the uh, the woman I was with, she's um she's very upbeat and enjoys upbeat sort of you know just more happy material in general to watch. So she was just like, "What the fuck is this thing?" You bought me to think this was a- <laughs> that makes sense because as a super dark person, I was like, "That sounds like a good date movie to me." <laughs> I like to be depressed. Yeah. So. By the end of the movie, we know that Louise and Ian are gonna have a doomed relationship that hasn't even begun yet. It's perfect. Yeah. I also, um, since then, I've also seen it with my dad. Mm. And because, like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is, like, one of his favorite films. Nice. So I was like, oh, this is kind of like that. Yeah. But he was just like, this is nothing like it. It's, it's like the anti Close Encounters, really. Because, like, that's all, like, oh, the spectacle of the, the beautiful multifaceted ships with all the different lights and stuff. And this is like, it's like a black rock that just hangs in the air. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's kind of an upbeat ending, almost, in that, I guess, the world didn't kill each other or yeah, try to attack the aliens good. but th- beyond that it ain't that happy ending either really <laughs> but yeah so both experiences of watching arrival with other people was like oh, finally, it's it's one i enjoy it as a film <laughs> but the people i've watched it with have been very uh not so much <laughs> <laughs> so this segment begins we left mid-sentence as weber was saying we're gonna go down there and you're gonna start your job and though ian is the one who fell down we keep hearing louise is still having trouble breathing and sort of panicking. Mm, understandable. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Louise says, okay. Weber says, okay. Louise says, okay, again. Weber tells everyone to, everybody move out. And we get a wider shot from beyond as they walk up the long tunnel. Or, yeah, up the long tunnel. We get some radio chatter. Condor says Alpha details in position. Alpha says team's in position. We're on the move. And we get a lot of uh, shots with no dialogue here. They have flashlights on, we get an angle from the front where we can see that this tunnel is actually rather long, and they're starting at the bottom of it and having to walk up. So the aliens are making them do some work. Mm. It's like, we've got to come all the way down to you, you know? you got to meet us halfway yeah. here, so... Right, they traveled across the universe, they landed 30 feet up. Mm. It's like, oh, you, want, you can't walk nine more feet? Come on, Jesus, <laughs> gotta move on. <laughs> the filmmakers are making us do some work because yes. they have to build the tension. Well, right, this off. this whole segment is the filmmakers making us wait, and then even more so than the script, we'll we'll get to that. 
we get a smash cut to the reverse and we get our first big musical cue of this segment. I love this track. reminiscent of 2001 for me we had chris a couple episodes ago talking about that but this this music has got nice bits of silence and then loud Mm. resonant noises they tie right into when the aliens start making sounds well the whole sequence of them walking up towards this sort of like a big long white rectangle yeah it kind of struck me as like is this supposed to be like a little twist on 2001 because you know there's a sequence of that where the astronauts are walk- walking towards a big long black rectangle right just jutting the ground and now it's like yeah we've twisted it on the side and now instead of it the you know the the triangle or the rectangle being vertical now it's like horizontal and it's kind of like a little nod to like i guess that's you know you know your interpretation of 2001 might vary but mm-hmm. most people are like well it's about alien contact it's like aliens reaching out to humanity to gift them with you know new technologies or you know to help them evolve and stuff like that and you could argue that arrival and you know particularly in the case of amy adams character herself is like well she does sort of evolve yeah. through contact with the aliens so Whenever it was Denis Villeneuve, was like, yeah, it's a, it's a little visual cue there to, to that movie. Mm-hmm. And I like in the tunnel that we don't see the full shape of that white window either until they're up near it. Because mm. the tunnel is more square, which the way I visualize it is the tunnel is almost like a TV screen in shape. And then the, or an old TV, not yeah, TV more now. More like a movie screen shape. And then the, the window is like a movie screen, yeah. Oh, yeah, the window. It's, is big and wide. And at one point in this segment, it's actually got a wider aspect ratio than the movie does, which was <laughs> yeah. interesting. Well, with the juxtaposition of the dark hallway and then the light rectangle movie screen, just brought up the question, like, how do we approach the unknown? And then you have the discordant music as it's focusing on the light. So it's like walking toward the light, which yeah. is, you know, death. How do we walk toward the light or have that transition mm-hmm. to something <laughs> to something new? Which goes back to this whole movie in retrospect, because she is approaching her daughter's death this whole time. Mm. She might not quite realize it yet, but we know she knows something. Yeah, it's a metaphor. It's like, how do we approach something we're afraid of Mm -hmm. in the distance? (laughs) And we want to avoid it. And they make reference later, you know, other people have tried and they haven't succeeded. They've had to be carried out because dealing with trauma is really heavy. But she's... There's there's even an extra element to that in the script because the tunnel behind them closes. And Weber tells her, yeah, it'll open up again in about 45 minutes. (laughs) So for 45 minutes, they're stuck. In the movie, it stays open the whole time. 45 minutes is interesting, too, because that's about the length of a therapy session. Like, you're in here, <laughs> and now you have to deal with your trauma. Yeah. So. Get in this space, talk yeah. to the light. Yeah. <laughs> I could wonder, too, if there's some sort of meta-commentary on just, like, filmmaking, it's, you know, or going to going to the movies in themselves. Because it, it, it is very much presented as, like, a like a cinema screen as well. well yeah. yeah, especially there's one shot in here where we see them upside down like walking on the ceiling for a bit. But that first shot, I think it is when we see them from behind 
and they're on the floor, the bottom of the screen now, in front of that thing. And it looks like a movie theater. Mm. Looks like a movie theater that is just lit up with a film. <laughs> I think they've got the same anticipation that, like, I know I did when I was there. It's like, I can't wait to see these aliens. I want to see what they look <laughs> yeah. like. And I think they're probably like, I want to see what these aliens look like, too. What the hell is, what, what, what are these things, you know? <laughs> yeah. Of course, this, this segment is just the trailer because we don't quite see them yet. Yeah. <laughs> we start to get an idea. We uh, angle on Louise walking, someone behind her. We hear her breathing again each time we're on her. The, the movie is letting us know for sure she's going to be our focus, even though it is added Ian. But we tilt up from the ceiling, it turns out, to the dividing. There's a frame that divides the tunnel from the nave, so it could close, I suppose, if it had to. I'm trying to remember if it does when the explosion happens. I don't remember. Because that's later. I don't have Louise's ability. <laughs> And the people come into the frame, they're walking on the ceiling. And then we angle from their right, they're still on the ceiling, and we see that bright screen. There's some equipment already in there, so the aliens, unlike the description from, I believe it was the Australia guy, this ship doesn't just tilt and pour them out, or their equipment wouldn't be remaining behind, I don't think. So they're actually able to leave some stuff behind. And of course, them being on the ceilings just disorienting us the viewers again mm -hmm. in time and space more from the last the, segment uh, yeah playing with our sense of the space and this is when condor says alpha's now in the nave setting up equipment and telemetry over the nave of course if you're i didn't go to a church with a nave as such but it's the central part of the church where everyone sits oh see i, I did grow up in quite like a religious background i didn't know that so i was like oh that's it Unless it was not like I was a Catholic background. I don't know if that's maybe it's a different thing. You had a Catholic background? Well, yeah, I was growing up in a Catholic town in Ireland. Oh, no, so. me too. I was just, yeah, I went, I was a Catholic school kid, did the whole like Catholic church. I mean, I was familiar with the word, but I don't think they really taught us the parts of the church as such. So we well, wouldn't necessarily. Have well, also in a way, in, in terms of terminology, the nave is the least important part, probably, mm -hmm. because it's just where everyone sits. Mm. It's not like the stuff where all the fancy sermons happen. And yeah. Because all your Where tabernacles and things like that. Like, it's like, oh, I know that word. <laughs> but I, don't, I think we were just like, yeah, there's this, the seats. Like, that's right. <laughs> but, a pew. I remember yeah, that the word. <laughs> uh, but I like the religious connotation of it here because I'll come back to it later in this segment. I started watching the segment again for my notes. I had a different sense of the visual of the aliens than I did before. Mm. But before we get to them, uh, we're inside Louise's mask again, and so we hear a lot of breathing, and the view is warped by that plastic screen, the flexible one. And then we see Louise from the front, and this is where we get that, uh, we get another, that angle from behind that's like the movie theater. Mm. It's like they're all waiting, looking, like, it's like they got to the movie late, and they're looking for seats. <laughs> so that's the impression I got of this shot, is like they're standing at the back, Trying to figure out, okay, where's an open seat? I was waiting to see people, like, the quiet resentment of people sitting like, just, just, mm -hmm. what are you doing? And they're going to have to find three scattered seats in the middle somewhere. You know, uh, and Weber. That's why like, I always show up ridiculously early for films. I was like, no way. <laughs> never, never me. Never right. again. And the other three guys are setting up equipment. We hear uh, someone say something about the oxygen levels, which I think he says is 21.2%, which seems really low, considering, I think it's the very next visit, Louise takes her mask off. Well, yeah. wait, I thought 21, I mean, or is if that... you look at oxygen, that's the percentage Oh, oxygen level, of... not air, not, yeah. Yeah, okay. air is 20% oxygen. Well, okay, so it's room. correct. It's yeah, right. it's normal. <laughs> and then we get the shot down by the floor as one of the men sets down a cage with a canary. And... Most people should know the whole canary in a coal mine thing, but I got down a nice little rabbit hole here, which was, I see it appropriate since they're in a tunnel. 
And this guy, uh, what's his name? John Scott Haldane, who is the father of oxygen therapy, who, among other things, studied the air in coal mines after they had explosions. And I learned interesting words. Like, what are they? Uh, The after damp, the black damp, and the white damp, which are different combinations of toxic chemicals in the air before, during, and after an explosion. Like, So they had names for the combinations. And so in the 1890s, he was the one who suggested taking a small animal it was a mouse or a bird in there with because their lungs are smaller. But in particular, they use canaries or small birds because, and I didn't know this in all the years I've been alive, <laughs> birds take in oxygen when they inhale and they take in oxygen when they exhale. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. So they're breathing <laughs> twice as much as we do and they have small lungs. So this canary, if something toxic gets in the gas, is going to die really fast. Yeah, mm. at first I was like, oh, it's a cute little bird. And then I was like, Oh, that bird's going to die. <laughs> like, yeah. And Haldane also studied like oxygen levels on Pike's Peak and did studies of how we deal with high altitudes as well. And so a lot of what he did is still used today in how we deal with oxygen therapy for people who have trouble breathing. The, the canary in the coal mine thing always makes me think, as most things tend to make me think of, like The Simpsons. When uh, I think the, the first time I ever remember... Knowing, like, having discovered that it was a thing to do was the the Timmy O'Toole episode where, like, oh yeah, yeah, bar- barge trapped out in the well, and they go in. They at the end they're digging him, trying to dig him out, but they obviously they go in through a coal mine at some point, and then they're just like, oh, they find a cage with a dead canary, and they're like, it's a canary, and it's everyone out of the hole, and they run off, <laughs> and then I go to Doctor Hibbert, and he's just like, oh, this canary died of natural causes, like back in the hole. Ah! <laughs> I'm standing there, the shirt's still off, and the shovel's still in hand in the doctor's office. <laughs> We don't use canaries in coal mines anymore. We stopped it by 1986 because we have machines that can do that mm. actually more precisely. Yeah, yeah. You can measure the levels of gas in the air faster and more precise. So we don't sacrifice birds and mice anymore mm. for that. We still do for other parts of science, but not yeah. that. Some of the rest of this segment is punctuated by the chirps of that canary now that we can hear it as all this other music and alien sounds happen. Uh, Louise says, so what happens now? And Weber, you know, very dramatically says they arrive. I think that was uh, a little trigger for, for me because I, I don't know if you were aware of this, Robert, but like um, my favorite moments of any movie is used when, when they, they say, say the, the title. title. Yeah. And so they're <laughs> oh, like, yeah. oh, it's so close. Just like, why not just say their arrival? <laughs> I'm like, there we go. <laughs> Jesus, you did it. But, yeah, it's time for the arrival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, they almost got there. But I found out, though, in looking it up, that the movie was originally going to be called Story of Your Life. Yeah, that's the story it's based on. Yeah, and, it's like, and they said, like, well, the test audience didn't like that title. I was like, yeah, it's because it's terrible. Like, <laughs> it's a terrible title. It's a, it's a great title for a science fiction short story, because short stories tend to have more evocative long titles, you know, like, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Blade Runner. And we'll remember it for you. Wholesale. Wholesale? Is that yeah. what Total yeah. Recall is called? And the, like, those are good titles. Or, uh, what was that other one I love? The River Sticks Runs Backward is the fun short story title. Mm. Kind of a whole other interesting thing. How there are like conventions for story titles and conventions for movie titles and what works. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it's, it's like, it's, it's weird though that in, you know, in terms of cutting down a complicated title or like a long title. It's like, well, the most famous examples, again, is like, oh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which if mm-hmm. most people, you'd say, you'd say that term to them. They didn't know that already what that was. They'd be like, what the hell is that? Whereas the thing is, the story of your life is like, it does not indicate in any sense what the movie's about, really. Yeah, it's like, so generic. <laughs> yeah. You almost argue that Arrival is as well, but at least Arrival is indicating it's about the arrival 
of aliens. <laughs> like, and you can go from there. But if you just show, like, that poster with story of your life right now, people would be like, I don't know what this yeah, is. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. This <laughs> is way, way, way too vague. <laughs> so uh, I was quite happy to, to hear that they... But now, though, because I, I, I didn't know that since the last time I've seen the film. So now I want to go through the movie again to see, does anyone say the story of your life at some point? She says something close to it. <sighs> but but well, in her narration at the beginning and the end. Well, it's with these screenwriters. That they, they just want to tease you. <laughs> they want to almost give it to you. <laughs> like, yeah. no, we won't give you the whole hog. In the script, we actually get more dialogue here. Louise says, is this how you've met them before in these suits? Colonel Weber says, yes. Louise says, so they haven't seen what we look like normally. Weber says, what are you getting at? And Louise says, context. Which is interesting, but yeah, I see why they wouldn't, why they cut it, because this meeting with less dialogue is more interesting. Yeah. That is an important note for later, though, like the reason she takes her mask off as well, is they're not seeing what we look like. Mm. They came all this way. If they want to let us live in their ship, they'll let us live in their ship. And then we get Angle from behind, dollying forward as the white mist behind the glass turns a little bit grayer and starts moving around. And we can see it's darker off to the left although that isn't where the aliens come from so i don't know it's like they just added an extra gas to their side yeah or something. that's just how the <laughs> that's what they're, they're heating up the hot tub from over there <laughs> yeah that's the wonder though like in the rest of the ship is like it's all this gas all the time so like you wouldn't see what i guess maybe they don't need to see what they're doing like maybe they're censoring it we don't know that that's an interesting thing from speaking of story of your life in the original story the aliens aren't in the things that land on the planet. Oh. Instead, it's it's almost like a holodeck that they sent down to 112 locations on the Earth that we can walk in and interact with them. Oh. But they stay in their ships. Mm. This, yeah, what is the inside of the ship like? Do, does it have rooms? Does it have furniture? And the description in the script suggests that there's a table in this room they're in right here, and it's not there. Mm. So they left that out. You would think as well, like, you know, oh, presumably they'd have to have this, you know, a separation because they need their... You know their version of oxygen or whatever they've got in in the other half of the ship. Yeah. And so and but then later on in the movie, you know, Amy Adams is in, but presumably she's in beyond beyond the Looking Glass, as it were. Well, Looking Glass is an appropriate thing. That's what they called them in the original story. Oh, there you go. But it's, so you're kind of like, well, if she, unless she's there through some sort of there's, there, there's another element. But like, well, if she can stand in the middle of all this gas, then surely. It must be okay. <laughs> what? Unless that's part of her evolution as well. Yeah, it, yeah. She can understand their things their way and speak their language, and also she can now breathe in their atmosphere. Mm. Or I, since that's later, I don't remember it as well. I think I remember that scene as almost being not real. Also, like it's it, in her head, but now I can't remember. It could be that's like a maybe it's more of a vision kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's also the only time. Um, speaking of this segment and what the aliens look like. That we see what the aliens actually look like. Yeah. Because we see that their body is way up higher and not as interesting. Mm. Because if you look at the actual designs, we'll have to post them on Instagram when we do this episode. They look like a person with their arms tucked at their sides. And instead of legs, they have this one appendage with these seven fingers, Mm. which is not as exciting. In retrospect, this whole interaction now is even odder because it's like, this is basically like if you had a, like, like a letterbox. Or like a cat flap at the bottom of your door. 
and you were mm-hmm. talking to someone who you didn't know, and all they could see was your feet. Well, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, it's like it was, it these people for a long time, we thought you just looked like giant feet. But apparently, no, there's a whole there's a whole other giant section of you. Yeah, they're interacting <laughs> with their feet. Yeah. Wow. That's like another calm thing I didn't think about, right? Where it's like everyone is at a different part of the elephant, so uh-huh. everyone describes the situation differently. Yeah, what do we think these aliens look like? Trunk or they're this weird <laughs> trunk with seven legs. And like, no, that that's just our foot. We have a whole body up here. <laughs> my eyes are up here i think though that, that's what's happened to see later on because i remember when this was coming out and they had the like, interviews with you know denis villeneuve and the, the, everybody involved in it yeah and there were people saying like the the aliens in this are unlike anything you've ever seen like, like they're it's like, such an original design and stuff and then when you actually see these this little bit i was initially disappointed because it's like they're just gonna look like hands yeah or <laughs> it's it's like you know friggin' thing from Adam, the adams family <laughs> coming out to talk to you but it was like, oh, that's not that great. And then later on, when you do see, like, oh, there is much more to it. And then, you know, after the movie came out and they kind of let out the you know concept design and stuff, it's like, oh, no, it does look much more interesting. Well, like, yeah, and the, the original story version is essentially they're kind of this barrel shape with seven eyes around the top and seven legs around the bottom. <laughs> which is very simple, but almost too simple for a film. Yeah, yeah. You want to give it a little texture and make it feel more like a real thing. Mm. Do you guys have, like, a favorite alien design in general though like from movies that you'll be like that is the the best designed alien i have, I have ever seen yeah that's definitely more a you question because you've seen a lot more science fiction <laughs> yeah oh man there's so many of them are just like the star trek and the star wars thing where it's just they're bipedal just like us they just look a little different you know bumps on the head or they have fur wow some of the star trek stuff was good like the crystalline entity was in was different these are interesting, but the movie version is a little less interesting once you see the whole thing. I think like my, the one I really liked the most was I don't know if it's because like a childhood nostalgia and it just it was one of the first major ones I saw, so it stuck with me. But like Independence Day, the alien designs in that are very very memorable to me because like one they're giving you two of them, yeah, two at of the them. same damn time. Like <laughs> they got this big weird looking thing with kind of triangular shaped head and it's got like tentacle dreadlocks coming out the back. And then it's got like a weird, you know, the kind of very intimidating skull face thing. And then you're like, no, that's actually just the outer, the organic outer suit. Mm-hmm. And then the thing inside is like, it's kind of like the classic Grey's Aliens, but we've adapted yeah. it. So it's like the head's flattened down. And uh, I remember like that, that really making an impact on me. And just even the way the feet were kind of folded back and stuff. I was like, oh, they really went to town designing these things. And I think like this still stands up. That's a, that's a good looking alien design. In the comic books, I think the... Geiger aliens, you know, from Alien, mm. got very interesting because in the movies they're mostly pop out of people, and so they always look the same. I mean, Alien Three, we did have one came out of a dog, so it walked around differently, but didn't look that different. In the comic books, they often look different depending mm. on what they came out of. I think I remember it's, the um, fun. back when those heady days of the the nineteen nineties when they were just like, oh, this this will be for kids too. They had a whole range of alien action figures, even though the yep. alien franchise is not for children. No. And I remember, yeah, they had like, I had one that was like a bat alien. Yep. And then like a gorilla There's alien. There's a rhino. Yeah, it was crazy. But like, I remember they were really fun, they were really fun toys. But like, in retrospect, it's like, I don't know who signed off on that. It's like, oh, let's just take this uh, R-rated franchise and make a bunch of really hideous looking children's <laughs> toys out of them. I remember I had one as well. It was like a, it was like a bull or something. And I remember you push yeah. the button on its back and it's like its, and its neck head pops forward. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was great. 
But like, I kind of I enjoyed it as a kid. So I guess they knew what they were doing. <laughs> that you know, it, it got the job done. But uh-huh. uh, I don't know if there's many people going like the arrival toys. We need to get the the heptapod action figure out the children. <laughs> there's a cool cartoonish one on Deviant Art that I would love to have a little like stuffed toy of. Oh, because they're adorable. That's <laughs> my my thing in this segment is kind of like you were just saying the or the the cat door you know, where you're only seeing their feet, is I was thinking of it as that you're only seeing their hands and it's like a little puppet theater. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then with him calling it a knave, I'm like, this is like God is sticking his hands down there because they can't look at his whole body. He's just like, I'm just going to show you my hands. It's fine. Mm. That's all you get. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to claim to be an alien from the future because that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) And then this becomes Jesus returning. Oh, that's the thing then, though. If you find out the aliens are, in fact, divine, it's just like, oh, Humanity turned around and like, oh, so God needs our help now, does he? <laughs> oh, well, where the hell were you throughout the entirety of 2020? <laughs> what does God need with a starship? As it gets darker, we get another big musical cue. Louise's breathing as it quiets down. We see Ian as he gasps and moves forward. We start to hear the alien sounds, which are fun because they sound kind of like a mix they sound to me like the velociraptors from Jurassic Park, mm. which I can't remember what sounds they used for that. It was a bunch of different birds and whales. Like, put this is whales put in with that because they got some, like... It's almost like a, like a didgeridoo kind of quality. Yeah, yeah, well. that too. Yeah. And we angle from behind the humans. There's something coming, but... And, just right of center, there's this throbbing noise, which is really cool, where you almost can't tell if it's the music or the aliens. It starts to mix together. And then we get a shot of the glass. The glass keeps getting closer every time the camera's on it, which is nice, too. So it fills the screen eventually. And there are two things in the fog. We get the really big musical cue for this segment. <laughs> We can definitely see there are two things approaching, and we cut to Louise as the and one of the aliens kind of growls, and then there's a different growl and some sort of whale sound, and we angle on the glass, and it's almost filling the frame, but not quite because the aspect ratio is different. And there's two creatures there. We can see they have tentacles, and right when we're starting to make them out, and there's this cool vibrating sound. We cut away, mm. which is a choice they made in the film, not the script. In the script, this goes straight into the next sequence where she starts talking to them with the whiteboard. Oh. And so this initial failure of hers is added for the film. Okay. And I don't know what they did. What did she do for the next hour? <laughs> yeah, we don't really know what happened because... Or did she freak out and run? I don't know. That's what I said to him. Like, did she pass out? Did she just go blank? Did she... I mean, right, we don't, really we don't know. know. What happened. <laughs> we see other memories out of order, but this moment, we don't get. And so we don't know what happened. As, as Weber says, Dr. Banks, uh, we see the alien... One of the aliens moves forward abruptly, and it says something. <laughs> Before it cuts away, we get this great shot, which is what got me on the hands thing. We get a shot of the alien in in the fog, not quite clear, but we're shooting from right next to Louise's hand. So it's like her hand big on the screen next to it. So it's both like juxtaposition and comparison. That's imagining, though, like 
if, I don't know if she ran away or if she fainted or something. And then just like Forrest yeah. Whitaker happened to be like, one minute. Okay, <laughs> we have to go back down. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> the aliens like, oh, we came all the way here. <laughs> Jesus Christ, people, get your act together. It, it also is a small sort of microcosm of the structure of her narration of the film, too, because Weber says you can start and we cut away. It, it's over. Mm. Uh, to them in the decontamination uh, airlock. There's some voiceover. Seems automated, telling them that, you know, do not stop until you've passed the airlock door. Do not attempt to remove hazmat suits, etc. And we get Ian as his... He's get, They're getting help getting their suits off because they haven't done it before. And Ian, after he gets his helmet off, stops and, like, looks across at her as she's getting her stuff taken off. Yeah, this is, like, the first time Louise and Ian share kind of an emotional moment or like mm-hmm. an understanding or a connection as their hazmat suits come off. It's that kind of knowing when you've shared something with somebody that nobody else has really yeah. Yeah, <laughs> shared before. But there's also some flirtation. Like there's definitely undertones there in the way that... Well, yeah. Um, Jeremy other. Renner has this weird smile where yeah. he doesn't <laughs> smile. It's like this weird half flirtatious smile. It's like you can <laughs> tell there's muscles in his mouth that are trying to smile, but his mouth doesn't move <laughs> i don't know how he does it but he does he did that once in the helicopter and he does it here and it, it works it's like he there's yeah definitely a connection forming between these two and what they're going through mm. i think that the kind of thing that would that would tie you to someone for life if you were like oh yeah. you were both part yeah. of the team that made first contact with aliens especially if depending on how this goes they might never be able to tell anyone the details yeah and so yeah, all they true. can ever do if they want to reminisce about it is talk to each other or go find weber talk mm. to him <laughs> he doesn't seem like that nice a guy either <laughs> no <laughs> louise gets her helmet removed and that's when ian turns and i love this reaction because he does it slowly he turns looks for something then walks over to the trash can and vomits <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not just timing. immediately sick he, yeah. he takes his time i mean he's got good timing though because he could have thrown up like at any point while that whole suit was on he could like uh-huh. they could have been that could have been a good reason why they had to leave was because he started throwing up inside his suit and they... maybe he's actually throwing up because he's nervous about their interaction oh his and the wheels. <laughs> it's like oh intergalactic you know communication no problem but talking to a girl i like oh uh-huh. i don't know about this i mean he's, that could be he's starting to have feelings he doesn't understand <laughs> yeah. butterflies in his stomach and then we get Weber, who is taking his own equipment off, which is a nice little touch, after she, Louise says, am I fired? Mm. And he says, you're better than the last guy. <laughs> she says, that doesn't make me feel any better, <laughs> because she saw the last guy being taken away on a stretcher. <laughs> so she doesn't, well, she might know what happened. She doesn't know what happened. Yeah. She just knows that that probably was the person that got on was on a stretcher being taken away. No, no, I mean, her understanding of her experience, like, does she... She knows it went badly. Yeah. <laughs> I... I think I almost think it has to be that like she passed out. We had her breathing weird, and then we cut. Like, what else would that be except she wasn't there for the scene? Mm. You know, because, and that if she ran, that, we should have seen that. Yeah, the fact that they didn't need to bring her out on a stretcher is an indication that she was at least you know if she did pass out, at least she woke up, whereas the other guy did not even wake up when they had to. <laughs> yeah, Weber tells her you both have till oh two hundred hours to figure something out. Louis says, "Okay, what happens then?" And Weber tells her, you go back in. I wonder, is this an organized time with the, the heptapods of the communicated yes. time? Yes. The... They, they said previously that uh, every so many hours, I forget what it was, the a door opens in the bottom of the ship. Oh, okay. That's fair enough. That's... And so they've just been timing it. They've only had a few days. Mm. It's, this is only day four since the ships have arrived. This is a bit so inconvenient for the aliens where it's just like, 
just you know they're sitting around like having a cup of coffee or whatever, and it's like, oh goddamn, humans are back here. I wasn't even ready for them. I was like, <laughs> they dragged me all the way down there to the front door. Then they just went, they just went away again without even trying to say anything. And uh, they're like, oh, apparently they're showing up now again. What is it, two hundred hours? Oh Christ Almighty! Yeah, you know, we're we're getting ready for bed over here. <laughs> and so we cut to one of the computer rooms. It's the the sound Louise's room from the tour before. And I like that she is in her own, she's like cordoned off from everyone else by a plastic window. Like, they're not letting her interact with the other people anymore. Mm. So they, there's a possibility of contamination still. She's playing the alien sounds on the thing, and she keeps clicking on it, listening again. And I get the impression from the scene is that she's realizing there's no way she's going to speak this language. Yeah. <laughs> because of the weird sounds they make. <laughs> so she needs a different approach. But also the fact that they have this recording of all the sound means... Something did happen, right? Because these aren't the sounds we just heard. I guess it, uh, it did add a little bit of extra tension, though. Maybe that's why they, they added this little element in from the script. Because I do remember initially watching it and been like, they expect this this woman to come in and to be able to translate these sounds. Yeah, it's like that is insane. Like no, yeah. no one could ever uh-huh. do that. And doing it this way, going like, okay, so you can't do it. But if you were to, she thinks up, oh, if I was able to, you know, write to them. And maybe that's the next, it adds a little bit of extra tension. It kind of gets you a little bit yeah. more involved in the story. Whereas if she just goes in straight away with the whiteboard, it's like, it wouldn't, grip, you know, you'd still be interested in what's going on, but it wouldn't, it, it adds a little bit of extra grip, I think, to mm-hmm. keeping you glued into the story. And then as she's listening to the sound, we get more tension because we cut in first with audio and then cut to the other room for video of a news broadcast saying violence continues to spread across the u.s today in the wake of the 12 landings mm. and there's Civil four soldiers in the usa how, how could that happen that's yeah. such a, what a crazy sci-fi concept <laughs> no idea four soldiers are watching this i'm pretty sure one of them is we'll have to watch for him later private lasky who will be important later i think he's the one sitting at the in the chair but I'm not sure. And they're watching the news. They do mention as well, isn't it? The well, initially I was like, I'm assuming they don't call themselves this, but they they mentioned the St. Lawrence Pentecostal Cult. Yeah. Uh, at one point, I was like, uh, is that the organization's official name? Is like, yes, <laughs> we are the St. Lawrence Pentecostal Cult. That is. Well, right. we do <laughs> see a picture of their web page, and it doesn't say that. It doesn't say cult. Yeah, yeah most people tend to not refer to themselves as cults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the news. The news tells us the president has declared a mandatory dusk to dawn curfew after the crackdown by the National Guard failed to prevent a third night of looting across the country. Getting all the toilet paper, I assume, and and hand sanitizer. In North Dakota, 144 members of the St. Lawrence Pentecostal cult are feared dead after they set their compound ablaze. And we can see closer now. The news screen says, Alien Crisis Day 4, special coverage, Fanatic Torches Compound, 144 dead in North Dakota. And this is CNAC, is the station. I do know, uh, from looking it up, apparently, there is a St. Lawrence church. That's a very common thing. But I was wondering if any any members of that congregation were like, hey. You know what I forgot to look up is who is St. Lawrence? Yeah, that's actually. There's some interesting mass media communication things going on here, just seeing them in their isolated space, dealing with the events while watching separate screens, showing the responses from across the country. Mm -hmm. It's like if there wasn't that mass media or how we watch things, obviously communication would be spreading much more slowly. Most people wouldn't even know because they're not directly experiencing it that the aliens were even there they wouldn't be freaking out but now i mean 
we've talked about a lot before in other shows, just that 24-hour news cycle where you're yeah. constantly getting like the most intense information and you're getting it from various sources and you're getting it all at the same time. I think these five minutes here a lot is about how people respond to the unknown, you know, both in the micro sense, how, how Louise, how they were dealing with the unknown in their first confrontation with the aliens, but also how the public is responding to the unknown when they're seeing so many different screens and... And if yeah. that is Private Lasky sitting there, how he's going to respond to it later. Yeah. Because if these soldiers watching that some cult has burned themselves to death and there's violence all over, it's the start of their little subplot of they're going to try to kill the aliens later. And it reminded me of The Mist, which, mm-hmm. we, just watched. which we just watched. Yeah. It's like what happens when the the unknown, it's like you'll have the group who dismiss it. Like, uh-huh. oh, that didn't really happen. That, you know, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. Um, you'll have the cult religious people, mm-hmm. you know, who use that to further their own Whatever cult their agenda. Causes, yeah. You have the, the fighters, you know, the people who are going to forge their own path. But in the case of The Mist, at least, it's like a very fatalistic movie because no matter which avenue you chose, it led to something bad. Yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. What were the religious people eventually going to do? Sit in the grocery store and not do anything. Mm. Yeah. It's like ultimately bravery versus cowardice, um, religious belief versus atheism. It all led to the same result. So, like, yes. they, it's been a yeah. while since I saw the mist, but I remember the, the, the only person who kind of gets like a like a happy-ish ending is like was Carol from The Walking Dead because she gets out. Yeah, because really she's on the truck at right. the end. <laughs> yeah, and then, she ran away her, quickly. I remember Thomas Jane like howling in pain and stuff, like really devastated, and her like this really judgmental look truck, yeah. staring yeah. down at him. So that's like, the lesson: yeah. run away really freaking quickly. <laughs> well, yeah. in that sense, it was get to your kids as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's which I guess that... she did. If he had run home to his wife, maybe he would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should also add. Uh, I looked it up in Saint Lawrence. Uh, was one of the seven deacons of the city of Rome seven. under Pope Sixtus II, uh, who were martyred in the persecution of the Christians that the Roman Emperor Valerian ordered in 258. He's the patron saint of school children, poor people, cooks, and comedians. So, St. <laughs> Lawrence liked the yucks, I guess. But uh, So, Abbott and Costello. Imagine like the, the, the aliens coming out with like a microphone, like, oh, so what's the deal with humanity? <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, what do you see? Whether it's a blizzard, whether it's COVID, whether it's an alien invasion, you see hoarding of supplies and a breakdown of social order. Like, Mm -hmm. those are the things that are going to (laughs) happen. Although now I do really want to see Louise translating those symbols. And she's like, I think this means this word is what? And I think this symbol, this symbol translates to the deal. Yeah, I think he's telling a joke. <laughs> and then with humanity, I think they're saying, what's the deal with, or what's the deal with airline food? Like, what's, <laughs> I think they're trying out new material on us. The news continues. Their website claims the arrival of the aliens set in motion a prophecy that 12 sets of 12 should follow. It fades off. But on screen, we see their website, which says St. Lawrence Pentecostal. It includes a picture of Jesus holding a lamb and a photo of... I assume it's the pastor because it has his name below it. Pastor Ethan, I think his last name is Sopek. It says, Pastor Ethan Sopek welcomes you. And he looks nice. He doesn't look like <laughs> a guy who's going to burn his compound it's... down with all his people in it. Though, That's he's, how it happens. This does sound like more of a, like, this isn't just, you know, like a cult out of nowhere. This seems like, oh, it was an actual religious foundation because it's going to go deacon and stuff like that. And it, it, it leapt forward into cult territory. Like, and now I'm intrigued by the story of the St. Lawrence Pentecostal cult. Because, like, <laughs> what, what bumped them up? Like, what, what, what were they doing? They're like, okay, these people are going too far now. Yeah. 
And we, we cut to a bigger display of screens, uh, maps, lots of soldiers, including Weber, standing around watching something. I don't know what. And the segment ends. Mm. So we've got nice musical cues. We've got God sticking his hands down in front of a little cat door. And people watching the news yeah. and getting violent thoughts. <laughs> and one other thing, of course, the numerology that comes up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> in 144. In places in the film, both with the 12 and the 144. So in addition to the many biblical and spiritual references with 12, you know, 12 astrological signs, 12 in Judaism, Abraham's 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, there are lots of. 12 references in Hinduism with the 12 petals in the heart chakra and the Hindu god Surya going by 12 names. In Greek, you have the 12 Olympians, the 12 cities making up the Dodecopolis. I mean, even in the Norse or the Norse god Odin had 12 sons, the King Arthur legend. Arthur subdued 12 rebel princes, I believe, in the 12 great battles of the Saxon invaders. <laughs> but time is a huge part of this film, and 12, of course, is. In time, there are 12 moon lunations in the year. There are hours are divisible by 12 minutes are divisible mm -hmm. by 12. 144, of course, being 12 score. And a 12th of an hour is a five minute oh, segment sorry. of the film. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, 12. Also in law, you have 12 jurors. There are a ton of 12 references in art and music. But with 144, 12 squared, 144,000 specifically is an important religious number. Mm -hmm. It appears three times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, verses 3 to 8. Do not harm the earth or sea or trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, that was 12,000 members of 12 different tribes, and Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, have the 144,000 Christians from Pentecost, who will be resurrected in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They say they the 144,000 wasn't a direct reference to those who will be saved, but high priests within the religion who will administer the everlasting gospel, and Islam says that there are 144,000 prophets. So hmm. there are tons of other references, yeah. but <laughs> clearly using those specific oh, yeah, numbers yeah. on purpose. Well, God just showed up, so <clears throat> yeah. it's time. <laughs> I, think, I know it's not... He's not in this five minute chunk though but like i was wondering you guys have any thoughts on or something i've like it's it's been a thing i've been curious about for like a couple of years now i used to have a defense of men in black three because you know everyone's like oh well you know it's a thoughtless pile of crap and i, I was like i think there might be something more at least they were attempting to have like a little intertextual reference in that because in that movie you know it has them go back to 1969 and michael sulbarg features as an alien who can see through time yeah. basically he can ex he's experiencing time you know not sequentially he he's experiencing the past and the future and the present at all the same time and i was like that's very similar to kind of like billy pilgrim in slaughterhouse five yes. which was yeah. published in 1969 so i was like i wonder if they're doing that the reason they had that character there is like a little little subtle reference to slaughterhouse five and now michael Sulbach is in a movie again about aliens that can perceive time differently than humanity and stuff yeah i was wondering if it was like a, a, you know and and any level that they have like a oh, this is a nice little 
if the people behind Men in Black 3 were like, that, that's what we were going for. And when <laughs> Michael Sulberg was hired for this, it's like, he was also in another movie about aliens. That, get that guy who, who played the alien who could see through time and stuff. Maybe it's just his weird affectation of parts he tries out for. Yeah. He's just like, my favorite book is He's Slaughterhouse like, aliens 5. In time? So we're going to find any connection between, <laughs> between that in any slight fashion. That's what I'll go for. <laughs> Well, if the audience wants to hear you ramble about some other films, where can they do that? Oh, well, you can get me. My main show is Batman, of course, which is hurtling towards its fourth season. Within that show, we cover minute by minute, not in five minute chunks, but uh, by yeah. each individual minute, all the Batman movies from 1989 onwards. And we've covered 89 through Batman Forever Now, which is it's astounding to me that they were that, that deep into the, <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we're now gearing up for Batman and Robin this year, which is going to be something. <laughs> and then, yeah, we'll, we're not too sure. We'll definitely be continuing on beyond that movie. We're not too sure whether we're doing the Nolan ones, if we're doing some animated movies, if we're going to maybe by that point, the freaking Matt Reeves Batman movie will be out and we'll be like, oh, we're going to do this one now, I guess. But yeah. we'll be. You know, we'll be going on beyond Batman and Robin, too. But, Robert, you featured in Batman Forever, I believe. Yep. And, um, yes. yeah, you, but both of you guys, you're both welcome on. If you should wish to talk about Batman and Robin, for God oh, knows what I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're more than welcome to come on for that. And, uh, yeah, you can find that at all your usual podcast, podcatchers and whatnot. And, you know, you can talk to us on Facebook at the Batman and Listener's Cave. And, uh, yeah, we're on Twitter. Uh, and uh, Instagram is the Batminutes, I believe. You can hear Life as a Playlist, my other show, where I also sometimes talk about childhood traumas and, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> um, sto- and death and stories of growing up. If you like really fun topics like that, it's all in the backdrop of top 40 music i also do political commentary on the show sometimes also just do fun list shows about top 40 musicians i like and you can follow that show on facebook twitter and instagram and listen to it wherever you hear your podcasts and about the time this episode goes up if you go over to annihilation minute she should be just about to interact with the alien copy of herself so different version of aliens over there and follow that on any social media as well annihilation min or annihilation minute yeah that just happened thank you for listening follow the show on facebook twitter and instagram at five minute arrival or go to lemmingdrops.com for links to think this was the beginning of your story. This canary died of natural causes. Back in the hole! Ah!